Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion as we review the Qatar Grand Prix. A very tough race weekend for plenty of reasons, of course, a sprint weekend as well, but officially we have crowned a three-time world champion. Max Verstappen finally got the job done, as we all expected, by the sprint race weekend. Confirmed he was a three-time world champion before Sunday's race and then went on to win the Grand Prix as well. But of course, we've got that and plenty of more stories to react to and discuss further. Joining with me is the DNF1 panel. Struggle to get that out there. But we've got Courtney Pine and Lee Wallace, who I'm sure are prepped and ready to discuss all the talking points. First things first, Courtney, let's come to you. How are you doing, mate? And Max Verstappen, three-time world champion. It was never really in doubt. And of course, the perfect cherry on top of that cake to win the Qatar Grand Prix this weekend. What are your thoughts? Yeah, obviously, big congrats to uh, to not only Max, but also to the team for the effort. They've absolutely blown the way the opposition but to be honest up we knew this was coming six months ago so you know it's good to finally get it confirmed and hopefully look forward to a hopefully more competitive 2024 but at the same time as you stated um you know you said that max won the race but there's so many more stories if, if you hadn't watched a race weekend and you go yes max was crowned world champion yes max won the main race that'd really do the weekend in general a lot of um, injustice because there are so many talking points to go through. There really is. And this is by far from the biggest headline that we can take from this race. Of course, it is the main talking point to a certain degree. But a lot of the talking regarding Max's third world championship was very much done 
on the sprint race in Saturday and he didn't even win that race. Oscar Piastri won that particular race in the McLaren, which of course is its own story. Um, just a quick one on this one. Lee, I'm going to come to you on this one first. First of all, hope that you're doing okay, of course. But Max Verstappen during the sprint race, even though he came second behind Oscar Piastri, the celebrations were very much about him on the broadcast. And normally, even in the sprint, sprint race, the celebrations are usually a little bit subdued compared to a main race. Normally, you would expect them to focus on the race winner, but they didn't. They focused primarily on Max Verstappen because he'd won his third world championship. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it was right for them to focus on that as the main story, or should they have paid more attention to Oscar Piastri winning the sprint race, especially given that this would have been Oscar Piastri's technically his first win, even though it won't count in the record books as a first race win? Uh, For me, personally, um, I think it was not correct from Formula 1. I understand the reasons why they did that. Obviously, it's the World Championship. It's the crowning of the new World Champion. But I think it's a disservice to the sprint winner. Um, And it was his first win. Uh, Or as you said, it doesn't officially count, but it's still a a win. Um, And I I don't think that's correct. I, I think... They should have gone through the normal routine, but they should have also had a special moment for Max where it, Max gets obviously officially crowned. Well, obviously, because that's the official things in December. But, you know, they get his own moment, regardless of where he positioned in the, on, the, on the race. He can focus on the race or the sprint race, talking about the sprint. And then he can talk about winning the World Championship at that opportunity and a proper moment. And I, I think that was, for me anyway, I think that was uh, incorrectly handled. Uh, um, by Formula One, but obviously in previous years, World Champions won, and they haven't even he hasn't even got a chance to be mentioned or talk about. So in that sense, it's an improvement, but it's uh, I, I don't think it was quite correct for me. It's a strange one because I agree it, it did feel a bit odd because I was expecting the focus to be on Oscar, even though you know Max Verstappen after his teammate crashed out earlier in the sprint race was confirmed world champion for a third time before he'd even finished you know he could have literally just pulled over and said well it doesn't matter now I don't need to win this race or even try I'm already a three-time world champion but um yeah I think there was certainly a logic behind this I don't want to play conspiracy theorist and put my tinfoil hat on and all that and say I feel like F1 were motivated to use this as an opportunity to promote sprint races. They say, look, we've crowned a world champion after a sprint race. We need to promote this, sell it to fans, even though none of us really have any say on whether sprint races are going to happen because F1 seemed to just do it regardless of what the fans want uh, in in that respect. So I don't disagree with promoting uh, or celebrating Max Verstappen winning the world championship, even though he didn't win the sprint race. That is obviously the headline here. It's not like it was a main race and and Oscar Piastri is being denied the opportunity to be praised for winning his first Grand Prix. Um, That would have been a different issue altogether. So it's a strange one. You know, you can all make up your own minds on this one. I don't think there was a right or wrong answer, but I did feel like perhaps they just weren't expecting Max to not win the sprint race. So they were almost like, well, what do we do? It's like, well, let's just focus on what we were going to do anyway and celebrate the world champion. And uh, Oscar in the background is like, oh, I've won a race. You know, let's talk about me. But um, he'll have his day and he'll have his moments. So, um, and it was a bloody brilliant weekend from Oscar Piastri anyway. And I'm sure we'll lay plenty of praise on him later on. But that's what I wanted to draw back on from the sprint race, of course. But talking about the main race, action everywhere, 
I think we're just going to start with Red Bull just quickly before we get into the main talking points. But following on from Max Verstappen, his 14th win of the season. Very strange race because of the mandated tyre strategies that everyone was being forced on, of course, because of the track conditions and the unexpected abrasiveness of this Qatar Grand Prix circuit. Even though the track had been resurfaced, the FIA had mandated for safety reasons that they were going to have a minimum of each team doing free pit stops. And of course, no one had to do a stint that was longer than 18 laps on a new set of tyres, or at least that's how the rules were interpreted. So it kind of threw strategy almost out of the window, made things a little bit crazy. But nonetheless, Max Verstappen kept his cool, handled it as we've often expected Max Verstappen to do with maturity, absolute control. And even though the gap was quite small, it never really seemed in doubt that Max was going to get the job done today. Um, Courtney, what are your thoughts? Does it surprise you that the gap was only a few seconds to the McLarens? Or do you feel that that was just Max controlling it and winning it by the slowest pace that he needed to? Yeah, unfortunately, we're in this sort of window where Red Bull are in that complete dominance, particularly with Max's car, where they can literally play the game the way they want to, obviously, barring um, Singapore. So I didn't really take the numbers to heart, let's say. I didn't think, oh, well, you know, Piastri's uh, getting close because we just knew that when the time came, Max could just pull out a second a lap faster. But at the end of the day, look, that's the machinery that Max has been given this season and he's done probably the best possible job he could do with it. So you can't take this away from Max, to be honest. Yeah, very much so. I think Bernie Collins from Sky F1, the former Aston Martin strategist, she drew on this and she was saying, look, the gap between Verstappen and McLaren was quite small, surprisingly, given that Max at a lot of points in the race looked like he was well in control, the usual 15, 20 second advantage we often see from him in races like this. But she put it down to Red Bull agreeing with Max to have what they called a suboptimal or a slower opening stint deliberately to avoid the traffic early on. And that allowed them to play it safe, go a bit longer on these stints. Because even though 18 laps was the maximum, some of the drivers and teams obviously weren't doing that to its full degree because it wasn't the optimal strategy for them. The tyre wear would have been too intense for them anyway. So it, it gave them the best opportunity to protect them against safety cars. And, and that's what they did. Obviously, there wasn't a later safety car, so it was kind of a moot point. But they still looked very much in control. And it just shows how strong Red Bull have been all season on one half of the garage. Um, we'll talk about Perez in a moment, of course, but just a quick one on Max now. As I said, 14 wins for the season already. Very much on course to break his record that he set last year, 15 race wins. He's got five more races to go. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's very likely he'll win all five of those or at least two of those five to break that record. But one thing that I'm struggling to um, to interpret or to accept is that if Max Verstappen wins every single race remaining this season, he'll be on 54 race wins, which I believe will surpass Sebastian Vettel's race win number. And in addition to that, if he wins all the races remaining, that will be 34 race victories in the last two seasons. That's more than Fernando Alonso has achieved in his entire career. I mean, the numbers are just mind-boggling at the moment for Max Verstappen. Right, it's just, uh, as Corny said, it's... He's getting the most out of his machine. You can't take that away from Max. It's a sheer level of dominance and control of the car, which, as you previously said, that's only one side of the garage, but Max has got his part sorted. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And uh, no track limits violations for Max Verstappen as well. So he was fast and he was also very well behaved as well. So well done to him. 
Sergio Perez now. We've come mm. away from the praising corner and now to the detention centre, if you like. Uh, any analogy I can kind of find from that one. But yeah, uh, tough, tough, tough weekend. It, it's it's the story of Sergio Perez this season. It really is. And uh, we were talking about this before we went on air, Courtney. You were incredibly frustrated and not to give the game away, but you were sort of telling us that he is the one making your rant section um so i mean i'm gonna hand the floor over to you and take it away my friend yeah absolutely uh, first of all i'd like to put it out there that um both myself and you adam we were advocates for sergio Perez joining red bull in the first place um in uh 2020 when they there were talks of him not getting a seat at all and then red bull come along and effectively gave him another chance and he did a great job for the team in 2021 so i just want to put that out there first but as the season has progressed, you know, we've, we've said it on this episode, don't want to take anything away from Max. I really do believe that Max Verstappen is performing as the best driver on the grid right now. He's in that perfect, he's in that perfect mode of confidence. I think the only thing that can beat Max right now is another team developing a slightly better car, and it's the only thing that can stop Max right now. But my frustration as the season has gone on has channeled towards Sergio Perez, to be honest, because we're seeing during um, previous um, eras of dominance, um, you could say Valtteri Bottas, Rubens Barrichello are usually the two that pop up to start with. And even during those uh, periods of dominance by uh, Hamilton and Schumacher, you did see the number two drivers get a win here and there, or you know sometimes make life a little bit more difficult for the uh, the senior driver. But the way that Sergio Perez has clearly got the best car on the grid and is regularly getting beaten by at least one Ferrari, one Mercedes, uh, one or both McLarens and Fernando Alonso at times, it really isn't good enough. And if we're going to see Red Bull continue to dominate next season, unless you're a Max Verstappen fan, you want to be seeing battles for race wins and the World Championship. And Sergio Perez has done nowhere near enough to give us that that idea of going into a race weekend. Oh, who's actually going to win? Because we've been going into most race weekends going, oh yeah, Max Verstappen's going to win. Now, for hardened F1 fans like us, we look for other things that we can enjoy over a race weekend. But for a casual fan, going into a race weekend, having a really good idea who's going to win the race, and it is partly thanks to how Sergio Perez has been performing, it really doesn't help promote a race weekend. And from Sergio Perez's side, is simply not good enough. No, it really isn't. And, you know, when you look back on the race overall, Perez, you know, he accrued two five-second time penalties, costing him 10 seconds. And it would have been more time as well um, that he would have lost in the pit stops because obviously that waiting period and how it's affected his race and where he would have come out. It was at one point in this race that he was pretty much where George Russell was. You know, there was a possibility that he could have been racing Russell and could have got a top five finish today if he'd have just kept it clean. And even Red Bull on the radio, you know, when he was breaching track limits, they were asking him, look, Checo, just keep it within the white lines at the moment. This is ruining our race. And it just kept happening. I think there was six track limits violations by the end of the race for Sergio Perez, two five-second time penalties. It's not good enough. And... Red Bull, I'm not surprised that we're hearing noises from Red Bull that they may even look to try and replace him earlier than 2025 if they possibly can, if his performances don't change in the first half of next season. It just seems to have gotten to a point now with Sergio Perez where he's mentally checked out and 
we're just going to have to hope that he can pull it together some point next season or Red Bull are just going to have to take action and put someone in there that can because if the gap closes to Red Bull next season, whether that be McLaren that do it or Aston Martin or Ferrari or Mercedes, Red Bull are going to need both their guys fighting on top form to make sure they stay constructors' champions whilst they have this advantage. Without Perez, right now it's not a problem because Max Verstappen is so good and the car is so good, but that's not a guarantee next year. Uh, it's definitely not. Um, and also, you think this year we've had um, the different, or the second best team has changed quite a lot between track dependent. And it sometimes Mercedes being the fastest, sometimes Aston Martin, sometimes Ferrari, now recently it's McLaren. So yeah, they're all taking points off each other and closing that gap to Red Bull. But if you just say one of the teams next year just going to use McLaren because they're the one on form at the moment, McLaren have a competitive car and they're constantly harassing Red Bull. Um, uh, and the chance that oh, even though Max may win, they're there to pick up the pieces because Sergio is not. That's the constructors under threat. Even if Max wins, the constructors is under serious threat. If this go McLaren double podium every race, um, so Red Bull really need to, or well, probably are already concerned, and that they really need to resolve the Sergio issue one way or another. Yeah, they really do. Um, the strangest thing at the moment that I'm looking at this season and finding hard to believe is how Sergio Perez is currently P2 in the drivers championship. Like it really does. You'd have to, it seems such like such a long time ago that he was at one point winning the world championship after the first few races. And that's where he kind of got most of his points from in those opening four or five races. And since then it's just took a massive nosedive. Uh, and we could be in a position like we were with Ronnie Peterson, where if Lewis Hamilton manages to get enough points, he could become the first driver to finish in P2 in a season without actually winning a race. I mean, hopefully for Lewis's sake, that's not the case and that he's able to get P2 and win a Grand Prix, although running out of opportunities here. But if that was to happen, that would really hurt Sergio Perez, especially when it happened to him last season against Charles Leclerc. And obviously it was a bit more competitive than it was this season, but surely Red Bull will be really disappointed in Perez if he's not able to consolidate P2 from the position that he's been in for some time now this year. Yeah, let's add in the fact that, yes, yeah, Sergio Perez started from the back, but he got overlapped by his own teammate. Now, that alone must be enough to, you know, to hurt. And, you know, going back again to the fact he started at the back, we could go, yeah, you know what, he started at the back. But George Russell obviously started at the back after the safety car after the turn one incident and he still easily beat Sergio Perez and Sergio Perez clearly has a much faster car than George Russell does so there's a very Mm. you know because I I think this season you know there's been a lot said about the gap between Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso which is fair enough rightly so but there's also a massive gap between the way that Max Verstappen is performing and Sergio Perez. And it, it, as I said before, it's really not good enough and it has to change. It comes down to adaptability again. And unfortunately for Sergio Perez, his lack of adaptability to... It's not an easy car to drive. Let's not kid ourselves here. This Red Bull is obviously quite a challenge. But once you've extracted that and you find a rhythm and a style that suits this car in the way that Max has, the performance is unbelievable. And Perez is far from achieving that. He hasn't been close to getting that for a long, long time this season. And whilst he obviously has a much faster car than George Russell does at the moment, George is able to extract 
percent of the performance out of this car at the Merck, and Perez is probably not even close to 80% at the moment of this Red Bull, if you want to put metrics on it. So there's a huge gulf there, and it's something Red Bull will be very mindful for next season to see how Perez gets on. Quick one on Perez starting from the back. Uh, that was because he had to take a new, uh, what was it, a new power unit, was it? Yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, it, it was very, very strange because he had to start from the back of the grid as part of the Park Ferme regulations. Um, obviously, if you take a new power unit, you have to start from the back after Park Ferme. But Perez wasn't given an additional 10-second time penalty like Logan Sargent was regarding the uh, the chassis that they had to change as well. According to uh, F1 journalist Chris Medland, he was not given an additional 10-second penalty despite the precedent that had been set with Logan Sargent because, according to the FIA, the team interpretation didn't break the rule um, and Red Bull had more than two chassis and additional assemblies ready at the same time. So it wasn't like they were using a third car, which is something that I find a bit strange because surely it would be that way if they have two extra pieces there on top of what they already had. Make, Make of that what you will. But... The intention of the rule means that now, once again, it's going to have to be looked at going forward to prevent this happening again. So for me, even though Red Bull have certainly benefited from loopholes and the incompetence of the FIA in their regulations, and and look, Aston Martin did stuff like this early in the season where they, you know, exposed loopholes in FIA regulations when they tried to penalise Alonso at the, what was it, Jeddah, when they tried to take his podium away and then they exposed the loophole there. For me, I think some fans are finding it incredibly frustrating now that even though Red Bull are seeming to benefit a lot from this, and perhaps that's probably feeding that, once again, the stewards, they just seem to be all over the place in terms of policing their own regulation. And for me, it just means that right now you're just losing trust because we were talking about this earlier, Courtney. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, here we go. Red Bull, whenever it's them, it's one rule for them and one for everyone else. I don't think that's the case. I just think the stewards are dropping the ball all the time with these things and Red Bull just happened to be benefiting from it every time. And that's really going to annoy fans who obviously think that Red Bull are getting favourable treatment. Yeah, well, you remember um, back when Ferrari were winning titles. I'm sure you remember those times, Adam. It was of course. Yeah. The, the acronym of the FIA was Ferrari International Assistance because of Ferrari always got the favourable treatment. But this, this has been a common problem with FAA stewarding for over a decade and, if, and several decades probably of the incompetence, they don't know that they're fully understanding the rules and not very good at closing loopholes. Um, they just have no oversight of the potential loopholes that even exist. Um, and using the Ferrari's example, it's just um, a long-time issue that the sport still hasn't resolved to this day and probably won't resolve for probably several more decades, unfortunately, because it's just that's such a slow-moving um FA just a slow moving organization. Um, and it's they should just hire some of the team members who know the rules better than they do to close the loopholes, but um, no one wants to do that either. No, that that seems to be the tough thing for them. I mean, you're absolutely right to point out, you know, this stuff was going on when Ferrari were dominating and the old Ferrari international assistance, because it's very, very true. Um, and it's the same problem. They keep being exposed. In such an easy way, it almost makes it seem rather childish almost of how 
easy it is in a way to get away with a lot of these things if the rules aren't watertight and we don't have to go into other examples i'm sure plenty of you listening to this can point out plenty of different examples of where this has been a problem they just really need to sort this out they need to spend the winter break going through these rules and making sure that there's no possible way to interpret these rules in a different way that allows you in this example to get off scot-free with an additional penalty that being said i think red bull the way perez was driving this weekend probably felt like it was a wasted effort but there you go um, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes for the rest of the season. Let's move on now to McLaren. And what a weekend for McLaren. Uh, Oscar Piastri getting sprint pole. McLaren were very unlucky not to have both of their cars near the front of the grid in the main race, although they recovered it very, very well. Uh, finishing P2 and P3. Oscar Piastri will start with him first. Driver of the day today was given by the fans. I'm going to go one further and say the driver of the weekend. He was absolutely phenomenal. The only thing that would have improved his weekend was if he'd have won the race himself. And if he had done, he would have been a very worthy winner. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago after the Japanese Grand Prix. It really does feel like Oscar Piastri, despite this being his rookie season, has announced himself as a serious contender in Formula One. And despite the fact this is his rookie season, I could go out on a limb and say I've not seen a more impressive rookie season from a driver probably since Lewis Hamilton in 2007, who coincidentally, I believe, was the last driver to win any F1 session in terms of races, if you include sprint races, not that it's the same as a Grand Prix, but was the first driver to win one of those since Hamilton won the Canadian Grand Prix back in 2007 in his rookie season. Very, very high numbers and very high stature to compare Oscar Piastri to, but I don't think many people would disagree that he has been incredibly impressive in his rookie season. And I, for one, am very much looking forward to what he gets up to in the years to come. Didn't Kevin yeah. Magnussen win in his rookie season? No, no he got a podium. No, Kevin, Kevin got a podium in Australia. Uh, I was worried someone was going to correct me. I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty certain Lewis was the last driver to win a race in their rookie season. As I said, he won't count because it's a sprint race, but I think you can allow me to draw yeah. some comparisons there given what Oscar Piastri achieved this weekend. Go on, Corny. Sorry, I cut your trial. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, no I mean, worries. Yeah. It's, 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 if you disagree, been... boo on you. That's all I can say. Let's have some fun with this. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long old race. Um, Look, we we all we well the three of us have all agreed for quite a while now how exceptional or how much potential um, Oscar Piastri has. So I think for the three of us, I can agree um, that we're not actually that surprised to see him perform to this level. But it's just good to see him starting to get the recognition from more people that that he deserves. I think it's been it's been tough on um, Oscar, given the fact that Lando Norris is his teammate, somebody who. Again, has so much potential. Who could? Who has the raw ability to be a multiple world champion in his own right? Also, somebody's very popular within the fan base. So, it could be very easy for Oscar Piastri to become almost a bit of a forgotten entity at McLaren. But luckily, he is building his his own identity, and that was um, not other things. Again, it's easy to forget what happened in the sprint race because he did great on the Sunday, but he also did a fantastic job too to win the sprint race on a Saturday. He could have panicked when George Russell overtook him on the softs, but he he, he he read the situation perfectly, didn't panic, and was composed and got the win. So, overall, a fantastic job by um, Oscar Piastri. And 
in my personal opinion, I do think Lando Norris will be moving on the pastures new in the next couple of seasons. And I'll have no surprise in me whatsoever when Oscar Piastri becomes a team leader. And I really think he could build something special on McLaren. Very much so. And, you know, what really impressed me as well is the closing stages of both the sprint race and the main race this weekend where Oscar Piastri was put under pressure by Max Verstappen and Lando Norris to hold on to his position. And both occasions, he held his nerve very, very well. And I think in a way, this is one of those traits that I think a lot of people overlook in some drivers. When you try to determine how good a driver is, it's not necessarily how fast they can be over one lap or even over a race stint. It's when they're under the cosh in the pressure moments towards the back end of a race when they may not be as fast as the driver chasing them down. Some drivers fold under that pressure or collapse. Oscar Piastri, despite being so young and this being his rookie season, Both of those occasions handled it like a pro. And I know people will say, oh, well, we had a bit of a buffer to him. But let's be honest, once Max got ahead of George Russell in the sprint race, we all thought he was going to win. But Oscar Piastri held his nerve, held the gap, and he cruised home. With Lando Norris, we all thought today Lando was going to catch Oscar. We were going to have a last lap battle between the two McLarens. Will they clash like the Mercs did earlier? Will they throw all these championship points away when they're trying to get P4? Would they listen to their team radio when Lando was questioning on the radio the instructions of his engineer saying, look, why should I hold position? Why, you know, if we're worried about Russell, let's go faster. Let's fight for this. They didn't buckle under any of that. And he managed to get the result home. So I feel like that is so impressive. And it's something for me that when you look at drivers going forward and who has really got that tough stuff and that metal to go on and be a star of the future, Forget the future. This kid looks like a star right now. And I think McLaren, and this kind of draws on the point that you said earlier, Courtney, with Lando Norris, through Oscar Piastri and everything they had to fight to get him in that car, he has proven to be an insurance policy and one that they could very much use to their advantage if they have a problem with keeping Lando in their car beyond 2025. It's working out beautifully for him right now. And the fact that they got Oscar tied down to a three-year deal before other teams came sniffing because now as you said Oscar's had a brilliant weekend he's come off of obviously a strong weekend in Japan and he's like oh hang on this guy is as good as he was in his junior categories but he's now secured for three years so McLaren did a brilliant move securing him before he announced himself um, to the Formula 1 community of actually displaying his talent and getting his well-deserved sprint um, victory and obviously he's today and where would he want to go honestly I mean the only team I could think of is Red Bull but would Oscar Piastri really want to throw himself into the lion's den right now when very much McLaren are right there and and making such progress that maybe he's better off staying exactly where he is right now and uh, he's absolutely thriving and it's wonderful to see he's becoming a very popular driver with the fan base very quickly I can't wait to see what he gets up to but uh Fantastic stuff to see. Quick one on Landon Norris, of course. P3 today was also P3 in the sprint race. Uh, not a bad effort from him. So what are your thoughts on Landon Norris, Courtney? Will he be disappointed that he wasn't able to get the win in the sprint race? Will he be disappointed that his teammate beat him both times this weekend? Um, I think Lando's main disappointment will be the qualifying performance um, where you know he made... He made an uncharacteristic error. I know a lot of drivers were, 
but it cost him, you know, he started the race P10. So, you know, he had a lot more work to do. And obviously circumstances led to him still getting a podium position. But if Lando put in a better uh, qualifying performance, he would have beaten um, Oscar Piastri this weekend. So I'm not concerned for Lando's position at McLaren moving forward. But if Lando does want the challenge for world championships in the future, when the, you know, even if next season McLaren do carry on this momentum and do catch up with Red Bull, let's say hypothetically speaking, Lando finds himself in a championship battle against Max Verstappen, he can't afford to be making mistakes like that because Max will mop up those mistakes and uh, and eat them for dinner. So he has to, he has to really try and iron out these sort of errors that are just in his game every now and again. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. 11 points now between Aston Martin and McLaren. McLaren took a huge chunk out of that advantage Aston Martin have. And, and in part, it would have been larger if it wasn't for Fernando Alonso's Herculean efforts this weekend as well in Aston Martin. I think he very much impressed for three quarters of the weekend. I think there was one big error, which probably only cost him one place in truth. But either way, each point is crucial at the moment. It does seem very, very likely at this point in time that McLaren not only have the car to beat Aston Martin, but also have two drivers on the top of their game at this point in time. But there is that element of concern that the two drivers may clash. And like Mercedes, it has been simmering, perhaps not as intensely as that one has, but it is there. And even though we've seen from Lando's side mostly at the moment, there is a little bit of a reluctance to want to play the team game and consolidate the position uh, rather than trying to fight for their own self-interests. Do McLaren need to try and rein that in a little bit more until they've got the job done on Aston Martin? Or do you feel that they should just let their guys race and they will probably finish ahead of Aston Martin anyway? Well, the, after the race, um, there was an interview with Andrew Seidel and he said that McLaren were instructing them to hold the drivers to hold position. And Olando was obviously uh, against it. They said that there was the strategy they agreed before the race. If they're in that position, they're going to hold position um, to bring back maximum points because they want that position. And they, he said they, it's something they reiterated the start of every race that the team comes first. They're not going to fight needlessly for points. They don't care who comes second. Well, I'm paraphrasing this, but they don't care who comes second or third or who comes sixth or seventh because it's still the same points for the team. They just want that P4 um, and then not they don't fuss which driver is the first one of those drivers to keep that position. I think that's the correct attitude for their goal to build on for a better season next year. And yes, obviously every driver wants to be the first one in their team. But if they, can, yeah. if they can harmonise it, the, the goal is clearly in reach. And we talked about this in our most recent episode regarding this sort of dynamic between teammates at the moment. And we've used Mercedes as the focal point for this because that's where it's been happening a lot. But in the case of McLaren, the same principle applies right now. You've got two drivers who are clearly thinking about, not necessarily think about the team game primarily, as understandably so, but they're both in a position right now where they want to try and get the best results possible. They're competing against their teammate. They're always going to be measured up against that. And it's a very interesting battle. But... For the sake of the team game, unless you're fighting for the world championship yourself individually, I personally don't see the need for 
any driver at this point in time, unless there's an obvious reason to try and get one up on your teammate, to really put yourself to at such a risk to a certain degree. Of course, you know, you can battle a little bit, but if it gets to the point where the two of you can't share the same piece of track without one of you going off into the barrier or something stupid like that, you just got to play the team game. If McLaren end up in a position where they've got a car that can fight for the championship n- next year, and the way they're going, a Constructors' Championship is certainly not out of the question if Sergio Perez continues to underperform in that Red Bull, no matter what Max Verstappen is doing. McLaren are going to be in a position where they're going to say to their guys, look, we really need you to capitalise, because if you play selfish or if you try to go for your own glory, everybody loses. Unless McLaren have a car that can fight for a Drivers' World Championship, I think you've just got to be smart and play the team game. They seem to be doing that for the moment. They're able to rein their drivers in. I wonder how long that is going to last in the same way that it could be potentially frictious at Mercedes, but we shall see. Speaking of Mercedes, I don't think we can delay this anymore. We have to talk about what happened at the start of the race. Hamilton and Russell, obviously in the sprint race, they both did a good job, especially Hamilton, uh, to take advantage of the circumstances as they opened themselves up towards him, but managed to get some good points ahead of Ferrari in the sprint race. In the main race, however, despite the fact that they still outscored Ferrari today through George Russell. They put themselves in massive jeopardy between the two drivers from the start. The two drivers colliding off the start. It looked on the replays that Lewis Hamilton was primarily at fault between the two. If we were to lay blame, the stewards obviously deemed it a racing incident. Hamilton himself, after looking at the replays, acknowledged his responsibility of, of being at fault on social media. Do we agree, guys? Was Hamilton at fault if we have to lay blame somewhere for that incident? I think the best thing to come out of that whole situation um, was the fact that Lewis took responsibility for what happened. And I'm so glad that this was the outcome because I think something that has tired me as a fan of Lewis throughout his career is this narrative. It's actually quite a lazy narrative from Lewis's critics that he can never take responsibility for his actions you know, they always, they always say that he has like almost like a narcissistic nature where he always tries to blame the other person. He's not a team player. And, and actually, he's actually shown he, he is quite the opposite. Of course, there, there will be times where you're so caught up in the moment that you're not able to take responsibility in the moment. But you actually saw the process of emotions happen. So the raw emotion where Lewis obviously could only see from one perspective, he did say, you know, I got hit by my teammate. But then he was able to take himself away, um, actually, both physically and emotionally, assess what happened and come to that conclusion. And I actually think that's a really healthy mindset for Mercedes moving forward because we all know that the tensions are bubbling up between Lewis and George. So I think for Lewis to, you know, be humble about it almost, that could actually help the dynamic between him and George moving forward. Because what the other thing I did like when he was interviewed after the incident, he, he said something he, he didn't have to say. He was like, I hope that George, you know, finishes and gets some good points for the team. Because that, that is the type of mindset that Mercedes are going to need. Because it would be, we'd just be talking about Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. Similarly, if Mercedes come up with a competitive car, next season. I think it's going to be a lot more tough to manage this dynamic compared to Lando and um, Oscar, particularly given how desperate Lewis will be to potentially get that 8th World Championship. But it does give you hope that they could 
you know, have a somewhat decent uh, respect between the two drivers because they're going to have to work together to produce, you know, a fast enough car because we sometimes forget this about um, about the Mercedes dominance, you know, early doors. I do believe that one of the reasons why Mercedes were able to develop such a great car in 2014 is actually because of how well Lewis and Nico got on at that time. They, they were giving each other all the information needed to move forward, you know, the, what they like from a car. So you need both your drivers to be, um, you know, communicating well with each other. It is a team sport at the end of the day. So as bad as the incident was, I'm sure there'll be a lot of anger behind the scenes. I think given Lewis's reaction, I think it's actually saved a lot of bother because I thought, here we go again, it's going to feel like 2021 or over again. But actually it come out and he handled it in the right way. And I'm going to be brutally honest here. I think in terms of an opinion or a point, that's probably the best one any of us have made on any incident throughout this season because I think you've hit the nail right on the head, Courtney, with this one. After that incident happened, we're all thinking, oh, who's at fault? Was it Russell's fault? Was it Hamilton's fault? Is it going to explode like Rosberg Hamilton did and derail everything Mercedes have tried to achieve on this recovery? And all of a sudden, the new rivalry between the young pretender and the old guard is reignited. And then we saw the replay after Hamilton's radio message. Um, oh, nice to be taken out by my teammate. Him At the time, in the heat of the moment, blaming his teammate for that collision. But then obviously, we saw the collision George Russell had nowhere to go. Hamilton may not have acknowledged Verstappen. Only one driver had room to give to avoid that incident, and that was Hamilton. But then, in that moment, as you mentioned, he basically takes responsibility for his actions. He goes one further to say that on social media and hopes that George Russell gets a result for the team. George Russell is remorseful. He's almost inconsolable whilst he's trying to recover his race. He feels he might have been responsible. Toto tells him on the radio, George, just forget it. We've got to get on with the race. And George puts together a great result. In that moment, it feels for me, perhaps for the first time between these two drivers, that they've acknowledged, actually, we need to work together. If we work against each other and do that again, it's all going to blow up everyone's going to get the drama that they're all craving, unless, of course, you're a Mercedes fan, of course, and it just goes crazy. That moment could potentially have saved Mercedes' fight with Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship, and I think if they do go on to win that, they may cite that particular moment and the reaction from both Hamilton and from George Russell and the team as well in order to get that done. Lee, I'm going to hand the floor over to you because Courtney and I have said a lot on this one already, but just to add on to what we've mentioned with Mercedes, is that a turning point for the rest of the season for them too, in terms of this dynamic that was brewing, but maybe they may have stopped the explosion from happening? I, I think it will help focus their relationship for at least the rest of the season. Um, George did say in an interview after the race that they discussed Lewis's strategy and um, with Lewis being on the soft tyres and that he, was gonna, he wasn't going to hold Lewis up and get him past. Lewis w- was on the faster strategy at that point in time and was expecting a quick start. So they already uh, effectively agreed that he wasn't going to block um, Lewis off the start. Um, but as we saw in the sprint, 3-1 doesn't go. And I think it's brilliant from Lewis the way he acknowledged his fault. And obviously, George needed some help to recover his mental state from the incident. And Toto has that effect of just get on with it, forget it. We know Toto's done that many times over the years. He's 
very firm, um, but also supportive at the same time. And it just really helped all to focus. And obviously there are going to be discussions, but I think it would definitely have helped the two going for the remaining races to just really focus on the end goal. And um, obviously it wasn't a spat, it was unnecessary, but it definitely will, will hopefully improve the relationship because it's released that pressure valve just a little bit. Um, and hopefully that will also be for the get them to complete the season and hold on to that P2 in the constructors. Exactly. And this had at the mo- at the time, it had the potential of being another Barcelona 2016 moment that we all remember when Hamilton and Rosberg collided and it completely opened up that rivalry to a whole different level, took it to another octave, if you like. And there was that image, Hamilton crossing the track and walking away and in the background in the slow-mo George Russell driving past. That was the image you could probably see plastered all over the media when talking about this story but it was all diffused in that moment when Hamilton responded the way he did and Russell obviously responded with the performance that he did and the team ended up getting a good result out of it relatively speaking to their direct competition in Ferrari and look I know some of you guys are listening to this and you're probably thinking to yourself how in the world has this British-based podcast turned an incident that Lewis Hamilton was at fault for into another way to praise the guy and i'll be honest with you that's an that's an understandable point you can make that if you want if you don't agree with it but one thing i will say in lewis's defense and this is me going above and beyond with the british bias if you want right whatever i don't care but my point is how many times does a driver make an in- cause an incident and they were primarily at fault for and they're the only driver that could have avoided it but they didn't because they went for the wrong move how many times does the driver acknowledge it was their fault or not long afterwards, you know, take them out. They, they very rarely do. If anything, they double down, even if they know they were the one that was responsible. And then they just radio silence. You don't hear another word from it. They might answer a question or try to rubbish it off in the race or two afterwards. So, you know, you call it what you want, but I am going to praise Lewis Hamilton for at least taking to social media where the backlash could have been huge today and just owned it. You know, because and, and a lot of his fans probably would have gone after George Russell in that moment as well, unfairly. Mm-hmm. But that was another way to diffuse that as well. And, and, you know, so good on him for it. He's very much aware of the platform and position he has. And he just said, look, I made a mistake, my bad, but it doesn't matter. We recovered it. So, no, fair play to him. All ends up and, and fair play to George Russell. That race could have gone horribly wrong for him. The strategy and the way things played out probably played to their advantage with the safety car and and the mandatory free pit stops. Even still, and as much as it hurts as a Ferrari fan to say that, you still got to put in the performance behind the wheel to recover that. And George Russell very well did that. He nearly got a podium if things would have gone. And maybe he would have been in that fight for one if he wasn't involved in a turn one crash. Yeah, I mean, you can just imagine how that first lap would have been if the three into one had actually gone um, and that um, obviously enabled Max to set the pace he wanted to look after his tyres in the first stint but if those two Mercedes were there or if Lewis had successfully completed the pass Max wouldn't have been able to dictate that pace that the Red Bull wanted to preserve the tyre life and we could have had a completely different race in that aspect um, regarding the the, the Mercedes um, today but the George's recovery drive was phenomenal. And as we talked earlier with Sergio, he was at the back of the grid and he secured fourth. Um, and he overtook Sergio 
on his way through the grid. Um, so it just shows you again how poorly Sergio did. But I'm talking about Georgia. But it's Georgia is just phenomenal. And you, you put it together, and um, it was a really good drive after all, after all those pit stops as well, and holding his position. But it was just it's just a weekend of what if for Mercedes. Yeah, it would have been. But um, overall, I think they'll be pretty happy considering where they were relative to their competition. Um, and I think that's where they have to draw focus on overall. It would have been hard for George to realise that in real time. He probably thought his race would have been in the dumpster, if you like, after what happened early on. But he got his head down. It was a very mature drive. He was very quick. And he finished ahead of Ferrari. And that's really the big takeaway for him. And And we can move on to Ferrari now. And this was very much a difficult weekend for them. I think this was probably the toughest weekend they've had since Zandvoort. And even then, it was probably tougher for different reasons. But uh, Ferrari were not only off the pace compared to their rivals. They really struggled to keep that tyre wear going, even with the mandatory pit stops, which probably didn't help them either in that regard because it restricted them on options, probably more so than almost any other team in that regard. Um, but coupled with that, of course, some mistakes from their drivers, uh, mistakes on strategy in terms of the sprint race going with the sauce, that gamble didn't pay off for them at all. And more bad luck as well for Carlos Sainz, who wasn't even to t- able to take part in the race as well. And um, Lee, unless I'm mistaken, um, does Carlos Sainz, is he the one making your sympathy pit lane this weekend? Yeah, Carlos is in my sympathy pit lane this weekend. As you already said, he didn't get it to even start the race. And when you're a Formula One driver and your whole career is about racing, not even getting to turn one corner in a race event or not even do a warm-up lap, it's just going to be so mind-numbing to do to, to be there because that's what you're there to do. Just sitting there in the garage and watch your teammate go around. It must be very soul-destroying um, feeling and... It just feel really bad um, for for Carlos to not even get to be on the grid. Um, there's not much more you can say because he didn't get to do anything else today. But it, it, he also, as you said, it wasn't a great uh, weekend for our overall. Um, but it was very much a damage limitation weekend for them anyway. Yeah, just a really quote from uh, Ferrari boss Fred Vasseur on Sainz's uh, DNS, or did not start if you like. Uh, he was saying that one hour before the pit lane had opened, they'd fueled the car up as they normally do, and there was an issue with the fuel system, and it was too late to change things. It is a shame because he was in a good momentum after Monza, Singapore, and Suzuka. And, you know, for Ferrari, this was an opportunity that went begging for them. I think after that first lap incident with the Mercs, even with one car, they might have thought, you know what, we might be able to make some ground back on Mercs. They went wrong on strategy on Saturday. I think it was a bit stupid for them to go on the softs because it clearly didn't have the longevity of the tyre life um, and it really didn't work for them. But in this race, uh, looking back on it, even though Ferrari was ultimately beaten by George Russell, which really would have hurt them, if someone had said Leclerc P5 today, I think Ferrari probably would have taken it. It's probably the most that he could have gotten out of this race. And um, it was also a quiet one in terms of broadcast for Leclerc. He was very much in the war with Fernando Alonso for most of it. But uh, yeah, tough one for Ferrari this weekend. It just never really clicked for them. Yeah, it does seem uh, that they're starting to become... I, I don't know whether they're starting to put their tensions towards 2024, more compared to Mercedes and McLaren. But it does seem that uh, the two teams I just mentioned are starting to outdevelop, particularly McLaren. 
are starting to like develop um, this year's car. So I don't quite know how Ferrari are going to claw that gap back to Mercedes. But as we've already seen with um, with Carlos Sainz, we're now getting to that phase of the season where reliability now starts to become a factor. So unless we start seeing problems with Mercedes, but regardless of the pace issues that Mercedes have had, I think we can all agree that Mercedes probably develop one of the most reliable cars on the grid. So you probably expect the reliability side, unless the drivers stop bloody crashing into each other, they keep both their cars on track and avoid the on-track incidents. They should have the reliability advantage as well as the upgrades that they bought to this circuit. You would like to think that the upgrades and the reliability I just mentioned to will give Mercedes the advantage to beat Ferrari for the rest of the season. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the, the championship standings at the moment between Ferrari and Mercedes, it's currently now gone up to 28 points. So Mercedes have increased the gap a little bit after a few weeks where Ferrari started to chip away at that. Five races left to go in the season. It's 28 points between the two. Ferrari did have the momentum, although admittedly, whilst we expected this race to be a bit more like Suzuka, I think we probably didn't fairly estimate how much Ferrari would suffer with tyre degradation compared to its rivals. It's still all to play for right there. It could prove to be a turning point that Mercedes, the two drivers may have used this incident to perhaps refocus and work for the team for the rest of the season rather than each other. But it's still quite close to call between Mercedes and Ferrari. One big result either way in the manner which we saw McLaren against Aston Martin could really tip the balance one way or the other. But Mercedes breathing a sigh of relief. They've extended the gap and maybe that could be enough to get them over the line. Yeah, um, Definitely, it's definitely going to go down to the the last race, I think, between the two teams. And as you said, it, it could just be one big weekend. Um, McLaren have taken a message on Aston Martin this weekend. And all you need, it needs, um, for all Ferrari needs is Mercedes to have a bad weekend. And actually, Ferrari have both drivers that score quite well. And bam, this is really game one. And that gap is halved or more. So there's a lot that can still happen and a lot can, that can impact the size of that gap for the, the remaining five races. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, let's not forget, you know, Courtney, you made the great point about reliability between the two. Mercedes have been much more reliable than Ferrari in certain aspects this season. And let's not forget, start the season, Charles Leclerc losing a podium in Bahrain because of reliability issues. Signs not even able to take the start today. You know, obviously George Russell had a result taken away from him in Melbourne, but, you know, it's moments like that that really could make the difference. And right now it's it's very close to call, but Mercedes extended the advantage and probably may have tipped themselves as slight favourites now if Ferrari were before this weekend. Let's move on. Let's talk about Aston Martin. I think we have to talk about Aston Martin because, as we said already, McLaren with their 500th and 501st podium in Formula 1. Congratulations to them, of course. Took a huge chunk out of the gap between the two after this weekend. Um, I mean, I think it was like a 40-plus point swing between the two or something in that region. The gap is now very, very small. I think it's 11 points between the two at this point in time and of course by virtue of Oscar and Lando getting two podiums this weekend they've now passed Aston Martin's podium count so if we went back on count back I think McLaren would still be ahead of Aston Martin right now and Aston Martin I think there's only one direction you can really look I mean Fernando Alonso 
made a mistake, which probably cost him P5, perhaps against Charles Leclerc today. But I think we'd be uber critical to lay too much blame on him when clearly the problem for Aston Martin is on the other side of the garage where Lance Stroll is at the moment. Another tough race for him. No points in either of the races. And obviously a moment to forget after the end of sprint qualifying where he not only threw his steering wheel out of his car in anger, it did look like he allegedly pushed his uh, one of his trainers in the back of the garage. It, it just shows how frustrating things are right now for Aston Martin and obviously very frustrating for Lance Stroll at the moment. Yeah, we predicted that this scenario would occur. Um, obviously, given how Aston Martin have traditionally been outdeveloped by their competitors, uh, given the miraculous recovery by McLaren, that's really made life harder for Aston Martin. And I feel the situation with Lance Stroll I think he's now lost the reprieve that he has had previously because obviously his dad is one of the main guys at Aston Martin. But the performances have been so bad from Lance that he has now lost that. So And the pressure, you can tell, is really starting to build from him. But the, the first story that sort of gave away that there were chinks in the armour was when uh, Lance Stroll was saying he's considering taking up tennis and quitting Formula 1. I think that was the first thing that we heard. But I think this is the first time we've really seen physical evidence of the frustration building uh, from Lance Stroll. I don't want to make any excuses for the guy, but the heat was intense this weekend. And sometimes you you might not be as rational as you usually are. But even then, there is no excuse for what, as you said, Adam, he supposedly did to um, a member of his own team. Um, I do feel that if that was another driver, another situation... I think there would have been a severe punishment for it. So it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic um, continues for the rest of the season. Yeah, and and I have to stress the word allegedly here Mm -hmm. because, of course, the pictures did imply that something happened there. But, of course, we didn't actually see physically what had happened or what it looked like Lance has shoved. So we can't, you know, critique him for that purely, but we can only go on what we allegedly see at this point in time. So, um, yeah, and, and it sums up the weekend for him. It sums up what's been going on for most of this season with Lance Stroll. Things have been difficult at the moment. But if we want to draw back on some of those actions and some of the reaction to what has happened this weekend, it's hard for Lance Stroll at the moment to win many fans or win much sympathy and support. But when he's doing stuff like that and acting in such a way over his own performance, as tough as things are, and, and F1 is a very tough place, especially when you're not doing well, it's not going to help your cause when all it seems right now is that you're just complaining and throw, literally throwing your toys out the pram at the moment. Well, you think it shows you how far Lance's season has fallen. Earlier in the season, he was there or thereabouts with Fernando. Fernando was giving him tips. Oh, Lance is going wide that this turn. Lance could change his setting for this. Lance could do, Now, I'm not saying Fernando's given these settings uh, advice, but Lance is, shouldn't throw his wheel out the car. That just shows you the the level of um, how far the season's fallen for Lance, and it just seems to be snowballing in the wrong direction. Um, and it, he's probably at the moment one of the two or three drivers that are really suffering at one of their worst seasons in the sport. Um, and Lance has had some great drives; it's just not happening this year. Um, and it's, the the rumors are obviously snowballing regarding him leaving the sport or his father thinking of selling the team. Right. It's so, so, which is just not going to help on top of being beaten by his 
teammate who has nearly four times the amount of points he does. It's just he just needs a massive mental reset, um, and and the se- end of the season couldn't come soon enough for him. Yeah, absolutely. We're not even hearing those radio messages anymore. It just seems that whatever bonuses Fernando was getting for coach and Lance during the race have clearly expired or uh, Fernando's been paid up early and he doesn't feel like he needs to give them. But the only radio message I think we were hearing with Lance and Fernando today was Lance being told to get out of the way because Fernando's in a different race to you and different strategy and yeah, he was a million miles away. So, yeah, tough weekend for Lance Stroll. Tough weekend for Aston Martin. Fernando very much flying the flag for them single-handedly. The fact that Fernando Alonso is still fourth in the Drivers' Championship is remarkable. It really, really is. And um, it's just a shame that, as we've said already, Aston Martin's decline has taken a huge nosedive uh, relative to their rivals. We can only hope that that means they'll be stronger next season and perhaps the focus is on 2024, given how big a leap they took last season. Hopefully they'll take a similar one next season. A uh, quick story, well, quick reminder and recap on some of the other stories this weekend. Of course, Alpine got some points with Esteban Ocon finishing in P7. Decent drive from him. Pierre Gasly will be a bit disappointed finishing outside the points. I think he had the most track limits violations of anyone throughout the main race, seven in total. So two five-second time penalties Without those, he would have probably finished uh, probably P9. So whilst Alpine don't necessarily feel that the point they're desperate for points, they're they're going to finish sixth in the constructors' championship no matter what at this point. Um, obviously, they want to be trying to get as much as they can from these races. So mixed bag there. I think the big story um, in the bottom end of the of the field is Alfa Romeo. Somehow, some way, despite the fact that they have been, as Courtney described, quite a uh, dry and, and mild um I, I can't quite remember the metaphors that the you chicken were using, corma of formula one that's the latest the one chicken corma of formula one well there you go courtney <laughs> finds a chicken corma boring so make of that what you will uh chicken corma fans but um yeah it's it's amazing with alfa romeo when they look like they're absolutely nowhere and then just not going to produce anything one crazy weekend they pull it all together everything goes their way And they get some points. And the reason why this is significant, they've now overtaken Haas in the Constructors' Championship. They're in P8. And in modern F1, you're celebrating, Colin, but it it is a reason to celebrate. If they can consolidate that position, that's worth as much as $10 million to the team. And given they're transitioning back to Sauber before the formal Audi transition next season, that's huge for Alfa Romeo. That could be the, the result of their season. It really could. It, 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 as you said, it nailed on the head. It really could, and in fact, it wasn't just one of the drivers. Both drivers um, did well today. Um, they were there, always both there and thereabouts with each other. Um, Valtteri must have got confused that he was still in, he was in a sauna or something because he just seemed at home this weekend, and it was just really on it. And obviously, Joe was. Did anyone check he was wearing clothes? <laughs> he would have usually when he's in no a sauna, he like. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, Bottas probably felt the most comfortable person out there. Yeah. Anyone check he was actually wearing clothes? Because obviously we didn't see much of him on the broadcast. But, um, I mean, Bottas qualified P9 for this weekend. You know, let's not be surprised. He didn't just turn up in eighth. He was in a good place already. So, clearly, he loves those hot sauna-like conditions, Lee. Well, it's practice makes perfect. What do you think? One of the reasons it is in the sauna is it really helps with these hot races because he's already used to sitting in a, a hot, sweaty environment. Um being in the Formula One car and in a sauna, but a Formula One car in a hot country, it's obviously an added temperature. Um, so he, he 
his body's already prepared, so maybe that's an advantage that he has against other drivers. But both drivers were on it this weekend in um, Alfa Romeo, and it did a really good race. And obviously, the car suited the track, which obviously did help because their car has been a bit nowhere. But you take the advantage, you take the opportunity coming your way, you bring back the points, and both drivers did it, did it this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, praise for Zhou Guan Yu as well. Drove very solidly. Obviously, he started, I believe he started dead last in this race. So for him to recover that and finish in the top nine is actually a very, very good job. Probably one of the races of the weekend. And yet we hardly noticed it because in fairness to Zhou, after that opening stint, he pretty much found the opportunity to make some places and got up the field. And of course, because of the safety car, and he never looked back after that. So no fair play to him, fair play to Alfa Romeo. It's a huge haul of points for them uh, in the in you know this grand scheme of this constructors championship, and it could prove to be uh, worth quite a bit of money by the end of the season. So well done to them. Um, obviously, quick note on Alfa Tauri. We've got to talk briefly about some words from Franz Tost. Of course, we now know that Yuki Tsunoda will be partnered by Daniel Ricciardo next season. And the question remains, will Ricciardo be driving for Alpha Tauri in the next race in Austin? Franz Toss, from what he was saying, he was saying that, um, you know, we were trying, we were going to try Daniel this weekend, but because of the sprint format, we weren't able to get a lot of track time. It wouldn't have been fair to Liam Lawson to sacrifice him for Ricciardo. He wasn't quite there yet. The plan right now is for him to return to the team in Austin. Um, Obviously, that kind of coincides with Lawson's commitments in Japanese Super Formula. So, are we expecting Ricardo to be in that Alpha Tauri come Austin onwards? Yeah, I reckon he'll be there. And I think it's actually quite fitting for him to uh, return um, to Austin because he's very vocal about that culture sort of being his second home. He, he does love the, uh, the the Texas barbecue. Do you remember when he uh, showed up one race on a horse dressed up as a cowboy? He absolutely loves um, going to uh, going to Austin, so I think it's a very fitting um, race for his return. Yeah, it'll be good to see him back, and of course, it will be good to see how he gets on post injury. It's not easy to get back in straight away and perform, but uh, I imagine the microscope will be very much on him, given that he, at the moment, is probably the bookies' favourite to be in that Red Bull alongside Max Verstappen in twenty twenty five, if not sooner. So it'd be very interesting to see how he gets on. Of course, tough race for Sonoda and Lawson. They weren't able to uh, get much of a great result out of it. It's a tough race for a lot of drivers. Um, you know, Haas were having their own problems. Williams, I think we have to talk about them as well mm -hmm. because Alex Albon did score some points in the sprint race. In the main race, he was having his own problem with track limits. I think five track limit violations. Only Stroll, Perez and Gasly obviously getting more than him. But I want to focus on Logan Sargent and really tough one. And I think it kind of showed how tough the conditions were at the Qatar Grand Prix this weekend. And we saw a few other drivers really struggling from the heat. Uh, I think it was as much as 31 degrees air temperature. It felt like 35 for a lot of drivers. And it's probably even hotter in the cars. But um, looking at some of the drivers afterwards, Logan Sargent having to retire because he felt ill during the race because of how hot it was. Did that surprise us, guys? Because... We've seen drivers drive in really hot conditions in the past, but this seems to be a very extreme version by comparison to that. George Russell had some comments on this one as well. We had Fernando Alonso on the radio asking if the team could throw some water or ice down his cockpit just to cool him down because his seat was burning by his own description. Um, 
what were your thoughts on that one, guys? Were you surprised at how hard it was for some of the teams and drivers this weekend? Uh, I was obviously expecting there to be a level of heat, um, but it, I think it caught the teams out a bit by how hot it was this weekend. Um, obviously, the this race next year will be six weeks later in the the year, which um, obviously probably a bit slightly better planned in regarding the obviously the temperature and and the climate is because obviously the, the races normally in that part of the world are normally really early in the season or late in the season. Maybe it was too early to in the late part of the season for this race um, in a, an actual climatic sense. Um, but I do think it was too much for the drivers and the fact that even one driver got ill or felt ill from racing. It's, it really isn't um, suitable for the drivers to be in a position that they, the risk of getting ill and having potentially having an incident, which is what obviously Williams was saying, retire the car. We don't, they didn't want him to crash because he was too ill and a driver should never be in that position that mm. they have to re- choose between obviously the teams telling them to retire, but pushing themselves to score points because they want to help the team, which may, they may crash or the, uh, or choosing their health and feeling like they let the team down. Uh, that's the, the decision that the sport should avoid at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's an important point that you mentioned because obviously the question following what happened this weekend is, is Qatar in the right place in next season's calendar to prevent difficult conditions happening again? And I was just looking through, um, just did a little quick search on Google, of course, because... Um, with the F1 Canada next season, I think you're right, Lee. I think the weekend that we got the Qatar Grand Prix is the 29th of November to the 1st of December 2024, which is obviously the penultimate race of the season before Abu Dhabi, much later in the season. And average temperatures uh, were between 20 to 24 degrees in the day, 16 to 20 degrees in the evening. Much, much cooler than what we saw this weekend. So hopefully, if that rings true track conditions should be much more suitable. I suppose as an outlier, given how this season was and getting this race on the Canada because of how things were, it was obviously going to be difficult. But hopefully going forward in future years, if that Canada spot says the same for Qatar and the weather rings true to what I've just looked up and hopefully it does, it should be a much more comfortable race for the teams and drivers. And hopefully it will provide better racing if everyone's not burning their tyres up after five laps. As I think we saw images of, a, what was it, Oscar Piastri? putting on some soft tyres going to the grid and he only did a few laps on those and they were already burning up. So uh, interesting stuff indeed. But guys, I think that's all we've got time for, for this episode. We're going to be back uh, later this week with an interesting discussion with F1 journalist Sam Cooper and we're going to be talking about the Andretti news and the controversy that is now brewing between F1 and the FIA and Andretti after the FIA granted... Uh, Andretti and approve their application to enter a team in Formula One. Of course, other discussions with F1 and FOM, the commercial rights holder, will have to take place. But of course, this one has been brewing for a while. So it's going to be a great discussion on that one. But of course, if you like this episode, make sure to support us on YouTube. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got plenty more content before the end of this season. And of course, don't forget if you are listening on your favorite audio platform to please leave us a five-star review if you think we're worthy, of course. It really helps out the channel and it allows us to grow this podcast and get it out to more great F1 fans like yourself. So thank you so much for your support. But until next time, as always, 
Thanks for tuning in. Please stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.